Welcome to X-Men Unraveled, a podcast following the X-Men comics chronologically. My name is Noelle, and this is a bonus episode that I'm posting in the off week. One thing that I did know going into this podcast was that the X-Men's penchant for time travel would occasionally make this chronological approach a pain in the ass, and today is one of those days. Originally, I planned to talk about the comics I'm covering today during later episodes because they involve the X-Men Jean Grey, Cyclops, and Gambit going back in time, but I learned that more importantly, these comics explain the origins of the supervillain Mr. Sinister in the 19th century, so I decided they fit better at this point in the discussion. Sinister's origin story also only occurs because of the involvement of Apocalypse, so that's just another reason it just made sense to talk about this story now. But because I plan to talk about these comics at another time, the story didn't fit well with either of the surrounding episodes, so I decided to make this bonus episode to cover the story on its own. And Mr. Sinister is a pretty big deal as far as X-Men villains go, so I'll give him his due and an episode. I do have to say that I equally love and hate Mr. Sinister's name. Um, somehow it's both cool and completely ridiculous. I'm going to skip over the major details of what Jean Grey, Cyclops, and Gambit are doing and save that for a later time, because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to get into them now. There would be too many other things to explain, like what is going on in their lives, why are they time traveling, and then just getting into some lesser known characters and storylines that aren't really pertinent to the origins of Mr. Sinister. So I'll only talk about their actions when they directly relate and interact with either Sinister or Apocalypse. The comics I read for today are The Further Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix, numbers 1 to 4 from 1996, and Gambit, number 12 to 14 from 1999. I am going to cover the whole story from the Cyclops and Phoenix series, but just give a brief summary of the relevant sections of the Gambit comics. Those are a little bit more sprawling in the storyline, but there's some good insights into how Mr. Sinister becomes such a powerful villain um, that I do want to make sure I cover. Before I start, I want to give a quick intro to the main characters that I'm going to talk about. First, we have the Time Travelers. Jean Grey is a mutant with telepathic and telekinetic powers. She is one of the most powerful mutants and goes by the code name Phoenix at this time. Her husband is Cyclops or Scott Summers, and he shoots uh, powerful optic blasts and wears like a visor to control them. And we have Gambit, real name Remy LeBeau, who is a mutant who can charge objects with kinetic energy so that they explode. Our villains are Apocalypse, who we've covered in the last couple episodes, and Mr. Sinister. He starts life as a man named Nathaniel Essex and adopts his new life as Mr. Sinister through an alliance he forms with Apocalypse. And today we'll talk about how he goes from a regular guy to a super-powered villain. He has a pretty distinctive look. I would say he's kind of vampire-esque. Uh, he has completely white skin, like a sheet of paper, not just a regular white guy. Uh, he has completely solid red eyes, black hair, and a red diamond uh, mark in his forehead. 
He also wears a pretty dramatic outfit. Uh, usually, I honestly don't know if it's supposed to be black or blue, uh, but all dark color, usually with a red belt. And then he has a really high collar and a cape, but they're like cut apart and spread out behind him, kind of like feathers. Really reminds me of a peacock or something, just less colorful. If you don't know what he looks like, I would suggest doing a quick Google search or check out my Instagram for this episode. Uh, He's a pretty interesting looking dude. Much like Apocalypse, Mr. Sinister was introduced later in the publishing history of the X-Men. He was mentioned in a 1986 comic and then finally revealed in 1987. As a result of this late introduction to the X-Men universe, his backstory gets filled in later. So he was created by writer Chris Claremont to be the creation of a child mutant to kind of serve as his avatar and interact with people on the child's behalf. And so that kind of explains his over-the-top appearance because he's created by this child character to look scary. However, Claremont departed as a writer for the X-Men comics before Sinister's story was revealed, and so his origin was changed to the one I'm going to cover today. So that's a simple rundown of who's involved in these stories and a quick introduction to our main villain, Mr. Sinister. So now let's get into the comics. I'm going to start with the limited series, Further Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix. In these comics, Jean Grey and Cyclops have been sent back in time to 1859 London to stop Apocalypse from taking power and enacting a worldwide survival of the fittest regime. However, they also learn that their nemesis from the present time, Mr. Sinister, originates from the time they travel to. The story starts by introducing us to a biologist named Nathaniel Essex and his wife, Rebecca. Two years earlier, the couple lost their four-year-old son to a congenital disorder. They're obviously still devastated, but their different ways of handling their grief causes a huge rift between them. Rebecca mourns her son and regularly visits his grave, but she also tries to focus on the positives she still has, like the baby that she is currently pregnant with. So she is still trying to look to the future and live her life. Nathaniel Essex, however, tries to escape his grief by throwing himself into his scientific endeavors, and he becomes obsessed with one idea. He believes that there is some sort of element in the human body, which he calls the Essex factor, that will bring about such incredible evolution that it will eliminate things like the disease that killed his son. He also believes that evolution, which at that point was something recently introduced by Charles Darwin, is what will lead humanity to become a more powerful race of beings. Essentially, he's describing mutants like the X-Men, but obviously he doesn't know that. In addition, because the story is set in 1859, it's obviously before anyone knows much about DNA or genetics, so his idea is described in pretty basic terms but he's on the right track. Essex presents this idea at a meeting of a group of scientists at the Royal Society, basically a science club, and one of the attendees is actually Charles Darwin. 
Unfortunately, Essex made it all weird by showing the group a taxidermy creature with parts from a human, different animals, and inorganic material. He tells the group that it is possible for such a creature to exist through the offspring of, quote, racially superior individuals. This is obvious foreshadowing of the type of villain Essex will become as Sinister. He sounds very much in line with the ideas promoted in eugenics, which is the type of thinking that ultimately led to the atrocities of the Nazis, as well as pseudoscientific racism all over the world. So he's right about the mutant thing, but his ideas are a little bit warped. His fellow scientists, though, are horrified by his whole display and call his creature an abomination and ultimately kick him out of the Royal Society altogether. But Essex is determined to continue with his work, and he thinks that scientific advancement is more important than the morality that his former science buddies are so worried about. He says that he is willing to become a monster for the sake of progress. Spoiler alert, uh, he gets his wish. Essex falls in with a group called the Marauders, and their leader is a man with the uh, pretty unfortunate name Cootie Tremble. They make a deal, and so they are already, like, capturing people to put in a a circus for people to come look at if there's something different about their appearance. So they agree to capture people for Essex, and I guess he pays them for their service. But one day, a small group of marauders are working in the sewers below London and happen across a hibernation chamber where Apocalypse is sleeping. He is suddenly disturbed from his beauty sleep and immediately kills the marauders, calling them weak for not attacking him first. Just in case we forgot he's a bad guy. Apocalypse emerges from the sewers to see the city of London and the technological advancements that society has made, and he is convinced that his time to conquer humanity has arrived. Meanwhile, Essex has the marauders bringing equipment and test subjects to his lab outside of his house. Rebecca sees all of the stuff being brought in by a raggedy bunch of men and gets suspicious. But her husband says, don't worry about it, but also don't go in the lab. Of course, being explicitly told not to go in just makes Rebecca sure something is going on. And then she hears screams coming from the lab later on. So she decides that she needs to investigate. She steals the key, sneaks into the lab, and comes across a box covered in a black sheet. She knows something unpleasant is under there, but she has to know what it is. But when she takes the sheet off, she is horrified to see the preserved body of her dead son, who had died two years before. She doesn't want to believe what she's seeing, So she rushes to the family graveyard with a shovel and starts digging. So this poor woman is several months pregnant, digging up her son's grave in the middle of the night. And when she reaches the coffin that her son should be buried in, she opens it up and finds that it is completely empty. Essex, meanwhile, has noticed that his wife is missing, and he finds her in the graveyard, still in shock over what she has discovered. He tries to explain that the only reason he experimented on their son's corpse was to try and prevent others dying the same way that he did. Rebecca obviously doesn't find this explanation 
good enough or the least bit comforting. But as the couple is going through an intense argument over what Essex has done, Apocalypse wanders up. He is elaborately disguised and just not reading the room at all or caring what's going on, interrupts and tells Essex that he is interested in his work and wants to join forces. Essex and Rebecca are still fighting, but they go into the house after Apocalypse's interruption. Rebecca decides that she can forgive Essex if he agrees to put an end to his experiments. But Essex is torn, and he doesn't answer her. When she sees his hesitation, Rebecca knows that he won't stop, and so she leaves. Apocalypse has been there for this whole conversation, awkwardly looming in the background like a weirdo. When Rebecca slams the door on her husband, Apocalypse introduces himself as En Saba Nur and offers to work with Essex to further his scientific experiments, offering his help and that of other powerful individuals. Essex is interested in having an ally and considers the offer. To be fair, he does debate for a second if he should go after his wife instead of chatting with Apocalypse, but he ultimately decides to go with him, and it's pretty clear at this point that he's gone pretty far down the road to villainhood. Essex shows Apocalypse's lab and the various individuals with changes in appearance, and claims that nature is on the verge of producing a great mutation that will lead to beings like unto gods. Apocalypse is really excited at this news because he finally has the words to describe his own unique features and powers, and so he is now convinced that he is the first and mightiest of a super race. Essex also has a meeting scheduled with the rich and powerful Hellfire Club regarding his work. This is a group of individuals who are trying to work behind the scenes to control world events. Uh, the Hellfire Club does make regular appearance in the X-Men comics. If you remember X-Men First Class, Sebastian Shaw, who was played by Kevin Bacon, and Emma Frost, played by January Jones, are both members of the Hellfire Club. So Apocalypse goes with Essex to the meeting and succeeds in pretty much immediately embarrassing him uh, because Apocalypse starts presenting his own crazy ideas and talking about taking over the world. And, you know, he's been around forever, but he doesn't adjust to the times very quickly. But when the Hellfire Club members mock him, Apocalypse busts out of his disguise and threatens them, possibly killing one of the group. I couldn't really tell from the panel, but I think it's safe to say that he does. And after that, he's pretty much running the show. While all of this drama is going on, Jean Grey and Cyclops have arrived from the future to try and stop Apocalypse's schemes. They confront him after he leaves the Hellfire Club, but he defeats them both very easily. He manages to capture Cyclops, but instead of killing him, he actually hands him over to Essex to study and experiment on, because here they have this mutant who appeared out of nowhere, who's obviously really powerful, so they're pretty excited to get to work and experiment on him. Jean is able to escape, and she overhears an offer that Apocalypse makes to Essex. Apocalypse tells him that if he's willing to join him, he can make him immortal to pursue his work to the fullest extent. But in return, he will be bound as Apocalypse's servant. Not a deal a normal person would probably even consider, but we're talking about Essex. 
So Apocalypse leaves him to make his decision, but Jean Grey uh, catches Essex before he leaves, and she tries to convince him to refuse to help Apocalypse and just find happiness in his life with Rebecca. She must have been pretty convincing, because he leaves and heads home to find his wife and spends the whole way there vowing that he's going to change and be a different man. It's unclear exactly how much that Jean, who is an incredibly powerful telepath, uh, helps Essex along in this change of heart, but I would imagine she did push him at least a little bit along in the decision. She knows that Essex will be a terror on the world if he turns into Mr. Sinister, so I would just guess that that would be motivation to use her powers to try and convince him to change. It's not spelled out, but that's what I'm guessing happens. I mean, it's a pretty dramatic 180 that he pulls very suddenly, when Jean just happens to be there. Unfortunately, though, when Essex gets home, he finds complete chaos. It turns out that Rebecca had had a conversation with Jean Grey, and they worked together to free all of his captives. But Rebecca went into labor and gave birth prematurely due to all of the stress of everything that she's been going through, you know, from learning her husband has been experimenting on their first child, and then having to leave because he won't give up his work, finding the captives. She's had a rough few days. The child doesn't survive, and Rebecca herself is actually very close to death. Essex tries to convince her that he has changed and everything will be different if she can just hang on, but she says that she will not forgive him, and he is utterly repellent and sinister to her. She dies, and Essex is distraught, having lost the only purpose he managed to find in his life. Meanwhile, Jean has gone to Apocalypse's stronghold in the sewers to try and rescue Cyclops, but she is captured as well. Apocalypse says that their goodness and empathy and care for the well-being of others makes both Jean and Cyclops weak and not fit to survive in his world, no matter how strong their powers might be. Essex then arrives shortly after and informs Apocalypse that he has agreed to undergo the transformation and tie his fate to Apocalypse. So Essex is hooked up to some alien technology that Apocalypse controls and goes through excruciating pain as it alters his physical body. Apocalypse leaves to carry out his other plans while Essex chooses a new name for himself. Sinister, referring to his wife's dying words to him. While Essex is still in the machine, Jean and Cyclops are rescued by Essex's former victims because they want to repay Jean for freeing them. Cyclops wants to kill Essex before his transformation is complete, but ultimately can't go through with it. He and Jean can't accept killing a man before he commits his crimes, I guess believing that he might still change. Not sure I agree with that decision, but they gotta show that these are the good guys. Then Essex emerges from the chamber, now as the villain Mr. Sinister. And so now he looks like that character I described earlier, white skin, red eyes, and the red diamond in his forehead is actually to mark him as Apocalypse's servant. Sinister also gains um, his own new abilities from the transformation, although they're not clearly laid out here. So I'm guessing he's stronger, 
Uh, he is immortal. That is uh, what Apocalypse promised him. And he also says that in addition to his physical transformation, he no longer feels emotions or moral compunctions. So that makes him free to carry out his work and Apocalypse's plans without moral restraint. But uh, it seems like he was kind of like that to start out with. This is the guy who said he would become a monster and then did. So I don't know. I think it's an excuse. Gene and Cyclops confront this new sinister, but they are not able to convince him to abandon Apocalypse. However, then Sinister sees one of Apocalypse's other science experiments. His old buddy, Cootie Tremble, has been turned into a monstrous suffering being with mechanical enhancements. He's stronger and stuff, but he's miserable and looks terrible. Sinister kills him in order to rid the world of what he sees as an abomination against nature. It turns out that part of Apocalypse's plan is to have Sinister create a plague that will carry out similar changes across humanity, with only the strongest surviving. After seeing what it turned uh, Cootie Tremble into, Sinister is disgusted. Not at how wrong it is, of course, but because he believes that natural changes through evolution will be better than the monstrosities that Apocalypse is trying to create. This knowledge leads Sinister to betray Apocalypse, telling Gene and Cyclops where to find him. It turns out Apocalypse has gone to Buckingham Palace to kill Queen Victoria and her husband in order to bring about a devastating world war. Apocalypse obviously can't see into the future to know that people will start two of those all on their own, but it's not like he's super patient anyway. Jean and Cyclops are able to get to the palace before he murders the queen, but they are not able to defeat Apocalypse on their own. Fortunately, their nemesis, Mr. Sinister, shows up shortly afterward, and he has somehow altered the plague that Apocalypse planned to use into a form that would only harm Apocalypse, and he infects him with it. It weakens Apocalypse enough that he's not able to fend off Gene and Cyclops anymore, and he has to flee. I'm not sure how Mr. Sinister suddenly knew how to alter a virus, because it doesn't seem like Apocalypse has any great scientific knowledge to suddenly pass on. He didn't even understand what mutants were. But anyway, it's a comic, it works, they're able to defeat Apocalypse. Having accomplished their task of stopping Apocalypse from taking power, Jean and Cyclops are returned to their own time period. Apocalypse returns to his hibernation chamber to recover, and surprisingly doesn't kill Sinister. He tells him that he actually respects him for showing strength in challenging him, because at the end of the day, that's all that matters to him. But then it's nap time for Apocalypse. Sinister is now immortal and possesses his own powers and continues on with his work while Apocalypse sleeps. He remains obsessed with producing the most powerful mutants to further evolution. And the scary thing is that Sinister is actually really intelligent. So he not only has this obsession with creating a super race of mutants, he actually has the ability to try and reach his goal which has terrible consequences for everyone else that he deals with. Mr. Sinister is also able to use his intelligence and scientific knowledge to 
turn himself into more and more dangerous of an individual. So like I said, when Apocalypse transformed him, it's not clear what powers that he has other than being immortal and probably stronger, but later in time, Sinister has way more abilities than he does at this point. In issues 12 to 14 of Gambit, um, it is explained how Sinister is able to gain those new powers. He takes them from other mutants and somehow genetically incorporates them into himself. The story in these comics revolves around Gambit and another mutant named Courier traveling back to 1891. I didn't introduce Courier earlier because I don't know a lot about him, but he is able to alter his physical being at a molecular level, which essentially makes him able to shapeshift. He has some other abilities that go along with it, but that's the main thing right now. The reasons that Gambit and Courier are in 1891 don't really matter as far as Sinister is concerned, but the short version is they're there to help save Gambit's adopted father's life. By this time, it's been about 30 years since Nathaniel Essex became Mr. Sinister, and he now lives in New York, going by the alias Nathan Milbury and working as an obstetrician. Terrifying job for an evil scientist, because this gives him easy access to victims for his experiments. He treats pregnant women and their unborn babies like they are all test subjects in his lab. Of course, he is trying to find mutants and figure out how to drive human evolution. Sinister's entire goal of creating a super race of powerful mutants is darkly reminiscent of Nazi ideas about racial superiority, and experimenting on pregnant women and babies is exactly the type of thing that their doctors and scientists did to victims in concentration camps. Not to jump ahead, but Sinister does eventually join forces with the Nazis. It's a real match made in hell. He's not a good guy. A woman named Amanda Mueller is introduced in the story, and she has mysteriously lost several babies through miscarriage, and she is put on trial for that. And I'm gonna gloss over how messed up that is, because the story gets worse, but that's a whole problematic thing anyway. So she gets put on trial, and she's only acquitted through the testimony of one Dr. Nathan Milbury. And it turns out that they had made some sort of terrible deal where he got to experiment on her quote-unquote miscarried babies. Honestly, this whole plot is so dark, I don't even know. It's crazy. There's so many things wrong, but I'm just telling you what happens. So Gambit finds out about Amanda Mueller from the newspapers, um, articles about her trial, and tracks her down to ask her where he can find Nathan Milbury, who he knows is sinister. She ends up giving him the information, so he and Courier come up with a plan. They have Courier shapeshift into a woman to get into Sinister's clinic. Obviously, there's lots of gross jokes about what a hot woman he turned into. But anyway, Courier goes to Sinister's clinic disguised as a woman called Jackie, but unfortunately, Sinister realizes pretty quickly that Courier is a mutant. I don't know how he figures it out right away, though. And he injects Courier with something that messes his shape-shifting abilities up. And so he's not really able to do anything, and it turns him into a liquid form. 
it would be terrifying to be him. Gambit realizes that Courier has been captured, finds Sinister's lab, and makes a deal with him. If Sinister helps him with his mission and agrees not to kill Courier, then Gambit will let Sinister take a sample from Courier to study or experiment with. Obviously, that's a pretty good deal as far as Sinister is concerned, because with that sample, he is able to splice Courier's DNA into his own genetic makeup, giving Sinister the power to shapeshift. Gambit and Courier remember some of their interactions with Mr. Sinister in their own time period and realize that their time travel is what led to making Sinister more powerful when they face him later. And one thing I did appreciate about this comic is that they do mention what a headache time travel is. Because I don't love time travel in stories, but... uh, It is pretty essential to the X-Men, so here we are with Gambit in 1891. Anyway, Sinister will go on to use the same process he used with Courier's DNA with other mutants throughout his life. This allows him to gain more and more abilities. He eventually acquires the power to heal himself, telekinesis, telepathy, superhuman strength, superhuman speed, as well as others. And all of this is through taking DNA from various mutants. And that is how Mr. Sinister becomes one of the X-Men's most dangerous enemies. And overall, not a great guy. Uh, We'll definitely get into more stories of how terrible he is through this podcast. And actually, one of them will come up pretty soon when I start getting to Wolverine's story. One more thing about Mr. Sinister before I wrap up. A driving factor for him is that he seems to immediately regret his agreement to tie himself to Apocalypse. He obviously moves against him first in 1859 by altering the virus. Then in another story from 1899, which is in Cable Annual from 1999, Sinister tried to kill Apocalypse with another virus, but Apocalypse's healing powers led his body to adapt to it, and so he failed, and Apocalypse knew that he was trying to kill him. So after the second failure and Apocalypse's anger, I think he says he's going to kill him now for doing this, Sinister decides that only another, more powerful mutant would be able to defeat Apocalypse. So he starts focusing his experiments and schemes on finding or creating that mutant. This leads to a complicated storyline with the X-Men that involves matchmaking, clones, and of course, my favorite, more time travel but we will get to that later. I hope you enjoyed this look into the origins of Mr. Sinister. Next week, I'll be back with another episode about Apocalypse, and this time featuring vampires. In the meantime, you can follow me on Instagram at xmenunraveled, and check out the blog at xmenunraveled.wordpress.com. And if you are enjoying the show, I would love it if you could leave a review wherever you listen, That helps more people find the show. Thank you so much for listening, and don't be like Nathaniel Essex. Don't be making any deals with devils this week. Bye.